Design Design Closer, the podcast focused on discussing design's role in tackling complex societal issues. Our goal is to have conversations that inspire and help move the dial forward for organizations to become more human-centered in their approach to solving complex business and societal problems. My name is Jerry Scullion and I'm a service designer and I'm the founder of This Is Hate City and the CEO of ThisIsDoing.com where we provide live online design and innovation classes, transformational design and innovation training for teams and organizations for people within the design and change-making space. Now, today in the show, we have the wonderful Iria Lopez, a UK-based service designer. I recently stumbled upon Iria's work on LinkedIn, where she was running a workshop. But what struck me was the theme. It was designing for loneliness. We speak about the importance of gaining greater context of why people congregate and attend extracurricular events, such as design meetups. And that is of human connection. The importance of being seen and being heard and just generally being part of something. We chat about what we can do as change makers to be more aware of this context and include it in our facilitation sessions that many of us do quite regularly, and that's just to make space for it. Iria was a wonderful guest. Let's just jump in. Iria, great to have you here. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm delighted. I'll talk a little bit more how we've connected. I saw a post of yours on LinkedIn, scrolling through as I tend to do, like, you know, every day of scrolling through. And I saw a post of yours around workshop facilitation and loneliness. And I was instantly sort of grabbed by this this topic. I was like, and I started, I drilled in and looked a little bit more about what you were doing. But we'll get to that in a minute. But before we do that, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from and what you do. Sure. So, yeah, my name is Iria. I'm from Barcelona and I've been in the UK for seven or eight years. I'm losing count now. Initially, I was living in London. Now I moved to Brighton. Okay. I came to London to work for Design Council as a program manager. My background is in innovation and research. I was originally trained as a psychologist, so like 20 years ago, I'm, I'm talking about here. But So I started in research and design research, and then I started moving. Nice. 15 years ago, I moved into innovation and service design. And initially, I was mostly working in commercial type of projects. And then I started moving more towards social impact projects. I also take uh, corporation projects sometimes and private projects. But recently, I'm mostly on social impact type of things. So I moved to London to work for Design Council. And then after a year and a half, I decided that I wanted to freelance. And I've been freelancing ever since like for the past five years and I've been working mostly on government type of projects like uh, either as a service designer as a researcher uh, for the Ministry of Justice, Department of Education, also for local councils. I have also done charity work. I collaborate very often with, with a collective called a Common Collective that is actually the collective that funds the charity that you saw the post about oh yeah. yeah so common collective is a network of service designers and researchers a majority kind of freelancing and then yeah, okay. the approach was well part of the funds that we charge for clients can go to fund this charity talking taboos and we kind of also run talking taboos so it's kind of way of yeah it's our funding strategy for the charity well, that's super cool. I'll definitely throw a link to the Common Collective into the show notes for this episode. I think listeners would would like to learn more about that. But I remember seeing this post. This post, as I said, I shared it with everyone and this is doing. I was like saying, look, this is a super cool thing. Like it's something that I've often thought about the impact, especially working online. 
And especially now that we were primarily doing only online workshops and the impact that loneliness has on people's lives and how we're probably at a point in civilization where we're, we're not communicating as much, we're not talking as much. That's it. That's a theory. I'm not entirely sure if that's true, but I'd like to learn a little bit more around how this topic came about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it came about because, to be honest, because of our personal experience, because mm. I was living in London and I had just broken up with my partner and I was deciding what's my next move? Where do I, you know, I need to get out of his house? Where, where do I move? Yeah. And I decided to move to Brighton, but I decided to move to Brighton without knowing anybody in Brighton. So it was, and also I freelance, which means that I didn't have working space where I could get to know people. Hmm. And interestingly enough, the first project that I started having when I moved to Brighton was for Worthing Council on the topic of loneliness. Okay. And I just thought it was quite interesting because I was experiencing it myself. So it was kind of first project when I arrived to Brighton in the middle of this feeling of isolation I was having hmm. is, is around loneliness. So I started learning about the topic through the council and then talking taboos, like the charity that I ran the the worship with, they were exploring, you know, like which taboo topic, which stigma topic do we want to work on that we could dedicate efforts. And we were talking about different topics. It was kind of either menopause or like other mental health problems. And I was really passionate about the topic of loneliness because of the experience that I was having myself. And that's when we decided let's invest in that topic and explore what can we do about it. That's how I ended up working on the topic. It was more kind of from a personal interest. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, the topic of loneliness, I guess it's got a stigma attached to what might be perceived as just own, uh, older people living alone in a house and stuff. But I know myself, and I guess this is me putting myself out there a little bit. I've been extremely lonely at, at times in my life where I've been surrounded by people at parties and stuff. And it can be extremely isolating. I know when, when I lived in Australia, it was times you just kind of yearn for your your own people and your own friends and your old friends and stuff. And it can be quite tough. What kind of work have you had to do around the, the stigma that's attached to loneliness? Yeah, I guess like in terms of this stigma, it's one of the things that is interesting is that, for instance, there is an initiative that is happening in Brighton and across and everywhere. Hmm. And that it's called Men's Shed. And I read recently that the success of Men's Shed, which basically is about like a group of men that goes into a shed and they build things. So oh, kind of, yeah, I've seen very this. Kind of, but I mean, it was initially designed for loneliness, for addressing loneliness. <laughs> yeah. But it wasn't presented as this is for addressing loneliness. And I, and I read recently... Okay that the success of this initiative had to do with the fact that men didn't have to admit that they were lonely. And I think that it's quite interesting, the fact that mm, yeah. if you are joining something, you don't want to be perceived that you're joining whatever it is because you feel lonely and you want to meet friend, to make friends. It's kind of, you just want to go there because it feels uncomfortable. Mm. And I think that this stigma also has to do with how do we react to people when somebody admits that they feel lonely. If you have close friends, maybe that it's okay to say to them, but I think that generally there is perception that, you know, like 
when somebody says, I'm feeling lonely and you don't know them that well, we kind of tend to react withdrawing because it's almost like, mm. do I now have the responsibility of being your friend because yeah. you feel lonely? So we, you know, it's this sense of burden. And I think that's <laughs> exactly. part of the angle that we took in charity to explore was how do we react to the lonely? Mm. But no, I mean, like we also explore what does it mean to feel lonely and what it is loneliness, but we couldn't, find anyone that was looking at the other side of the coin it's kind of the community angle i mean we react in that way yeah to people who present themselves as lonely because we are an individualistic society and we think that we individually need to fix Mm. someone's problem we don't have kind of that community like that sense of well if this person feels lonely we can you know the older community can do something about it. it's kind of that one-to-one situation where suddenly you're oh my god and now i need to take Mm. this person out what you have to do it's unusual because i hadn't really perceived at the moment i'm feeling a sense of kind of vulnerability from just talking about saying that i feel lonely at times as well right what's causing that sense of unease about me sharing that for a start what's your thoughts on that but also am i alone Am I the only person who feels this sense of vulnerability to say, hey, folks, even though I have friends, okay, it's not like I'm sitting in a house on my own. I've got a family and stuff, but yet I still feel lonely. Like, I want to talk more around, is is that something that's a common thing? Yeah, absolutely. There are, because the vulnerability and the shame of like admitting that how you're feeling, it has to do with social norms and with cultural norms and expectations and what is the persona that... I mean, we all want to be perceived as successful, yeah? Yeah. Is someone successful, someone who feels lonely? It's <laughs> now they say it's lonely at the top, isn't it? It's it, one of the statements they say about fame, it's lonely at the top. Yeah, it has to do with what is the image that we want to project and how much room for being human we have in society. In the professional world, we move a lot in the LinkedIn world yeah Mm. and the LinkedIn world is everybody's busy everyone is doing something and kind of one of the things that happens in the professional world is also that a lot of the interactions yeah are based or driven by efficiency and there is kind of that thing about you are interacting a lot all the time with people but there aren't that like for connecting with somebody you need to drop agenda you need to you kind of need to relax to be spontaneous and to allow to be seen and to connect Mm. and in the professional world that is so difficult yeah because of agendas but also because of a sense of productivity and busyness and yeah Mm. is it a gender thing though is it because i've just finished watching a fantastic tv show called catastrophe which I had never seen before because we lived in Australia and it kind of missed us, it passed us by. But Sharon Horgan, fellow Drahedin from where I'm, there was a great scene in it where she's had her second or third child, her second child, I think it was. And she sees somebody in the mother's group that she really likes and wants to be friends with. She's obviously feeling really lonely and she comes on too strong. She comes on and she's like, you know, talking about like, we should catch up, we should go away for a weekend. And, and the other person pulls back and straight away they're like, uh, listen, look, you know, I'm, I'm busy that weekend. And they're like, well, which weekend? Because I didn't say the date. And they were like, you know, listen, I'm going to be busy for quite a while. And, you know, it, it creates this whole kind of sense of comedy around that, that unease. Is it a gender thing in terms of like men not wanting to be vulnerable? Or is this sort of like it doesn't discriminate against the genders of the sexes? It doesn't. I think that it doesn't discriminate. But at the same time, I think that the fact that 
socially it almost more accepted that women can express feelings more than men mm. means that men bottom up more and and in that sense maybe the starting point the feeling is is the same but one is more expressed than the other i think that Hmm. Yeah, I would say that loneliness in men probably is stronger. That I mean, like the suicide rate stronger in you know in the case of men. So it, it has to hmm. do with asking for help and yeah. how comfortable a man is asking for help. Yeah. Yeah. So like I know at life stages, there's certain points where connections with people who are going through the same experiences can be quite helpful. I know when we had our, our second child, our first child in Australia, actually, was it's a really interesting comparison between the two worlds. In Australia, they, at the point of, in the hospital, they connect you with other mothers who've just delivered babies in the hospital as well. And they form a a mother's group out of that. So it's much earlier in the process. It's fantastic. My wife Vicky's connected with some people and they're lifelong friends. Like we still message them all the time back in Australia. Over here, not so much. It was very much like, you know, you're writing your own. You have to go and try and find mother's groups to join and, and so forth. And it was really powerful. It was a powerful thing to help combat lots of different uncertainties about it to be a parent and stuff. Is that a common approach, like by looking for life stages that are kind of there, like say retirement is a big one. Like whenever people retire, you join the golf club, you join the tennis club, or you you join a charity, whatever it is. And there's other people who are going through the same life stages as you. And is that the right approach to take? Or is this something that we need to think more holistically about that loneliness is now with us? It's a perpetual thing. It, it, you can be lonely from a very young age and it can carry through to old age. Yeah, I mean, it can happen at any stage. In fact, like the numbers of loneliness are, hmm. the times that are higher at the minute are in younger people, which is quite surprising, but right. it's kind of almost the same or more than with older generations, which is kind of the typical idea that we have in mind. And it's kind of, hmm. I mean, loneliness, there are different types of loneliness. If you read any book around it, they differentiate between chronic loneliness and temporary loneliness. Yeah. And we have been talking about some between thriving and temporary loneliness, which is kind of the functional. Yeah. And so temporary is when a life stage change, something that happens to you. Yeah. It's kind of all in a sudden, you have a child and all in a sudden your world is that and eventually you start feeling lonely because mm. you are just focused on that or you have gone through a breakup or you move into yeah. a new city or you suddenly become unemployed or all of those situations are triggers and doesn't mind what state you are in life they are just triggers mm. and chronic is more like you have been through a state of loneliness for a very long time yeah and it's, we are talking here about years. And in that situation, what happens to people who are in chronic loneliness is that they start becoming a bit more mm -hmm. negative because it's kind of they are alert about any social... They perceive things as a threat as well. Mm. They enter into a circle of being suspicious of others at the same time that needing the connection. Whereas when you're in a temporary loneliness stage, you still have all your social skills perfectly fine. I mean, like, it's more like, and to be honest, it's kind of, it's a spectrum. We are always in a spectrum of now we are thriving, now I'm temporary loneliness, and now I'm functional, now I'm, you know. Yeah. And I think that what is in society is not realizing potentially about this is the fact that the importance of having... Mm. Many types of relationships, like people, when they marry and have kids, sometimes they become very insulated in their world. Yeah. And then what happens is that 
you start losing the weak connections with your friends or with other people. And that is where, mm. you know, the tree becomes less strong because you have, mm -hmm. you need a variety of relationships. Not all the relationships are going to be intimate and super close to you. There are different types and, you know, the richness in the variety. The same way that in our stomach, the richness is in multiple types of bacteria. Mm -hmm. The richness for a healthy life from a social perspective is having kind of yeah. the variety. No, it's beautiful. Yeah. I'm trying to think, is there a connection there? And is it a fair assumption to make that the deprivation of human face-to-face -face connection drives loneliness? Or is it a case that you can be surrounded by people and still be lonely? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that the best definitions that I've seen about loneliness is defined as you don't feel lonely when you are seen by the other. So the, the person sees everything about you and you feel accepted. Mm. So it's kind of you show who you are and still you're still loved with all your mistakes, okay. your errors, your everything that is not potentially right. Mm. And obviously that sense of the lonely in the crowd mm. means that you are surrounded by people, but actually either you're not allowing them to completely see you or you are trying to show, but they don't understand you or you don't feel accepted. So doesn't mind how many quantity of people that you interact with. It has to do with right. how much do they really know you and how much do you feel accepted by them. So it's the ability to break through that veil and having the confidence to reveal your true self, which completely makes sense now when you say that to me. So I want to talk a little bit more around the workshop space because like walk me through what that workshop achieved and how did you go about doing it? Tell us. Yeah, so I mean, like one of the things that we were discussing in the charity was kind of, okay, we need to identify a context that we are going to work on. It's kind of loneliness at work, loneliness in friendship and mm -hmm. relationships, loneliness in the neighborhood. We needed to pick a, you know, like a context to design for. And we decided to pick up neighborhoods. We realized that sometimes people, when they feel lonely they what they try to do is to join things and that can be you joining pottery class you go uh, i don't know like swimming club illustration yoga whatever you know like people try to to join things and what we realized is that those events unless they are designed by an organization that is oriented towards community engagement if it's a regular event organizer they are just there for delivering the activity they are not aware that sometimes people are illustration or pottery is an excuse they are there to meet people and i think that event organizers are not aware of it and the spaces are you know like it's you arrive you might have a bit of a chit-chat with somebody if they're or not and then you do the thing and then you finish the thing and you, you go back home and maybe and you potentially will keep seeing those people but always in the activity setting you don't i mean it's not that you hang out with them or anything absolutely i'm laughing here not because of the topic i'm reflecting at a time that i joined toastmasters and i joined toastmasters to get better at public speaking i had an objective i was going there and there was one or two elderly gentlemen who were obviously there to connect with network. And they kept on asking me out for coffee. And now I feel awful. I'm laughing because they're like, hey, we should catch up on the weekend. I'm like, no, you're all right. I said, I'm just here to do my public speaking. But I realize now it's funny, like 
I realized they probably just wanted to go out and do some stuff, but I was, you know, I was a busy man. <laughs> I was doing yeah. stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. It yeah. is really, yeah, it's really no. important to call this stuff out because we're doing stuff on This Is Hate CD. We're doing stuff on This Is Doing. We're doing events. We're doing communities and conferences and stuff. A huge part of that is going to be wanting to network and wanting to chat. Yeah. How can facilitators enable more of this? What advice would you give to people? Basically, what happened in the workshop was that we started the workshop with a storyboard imagining somebody's. We had the persona like John, and John has just gone through a breakup and he wants to join an illustration class. And he arrives there and he sits down waiting for the teacher. And there is, on his left side, there's a couple of people that they are talking among themselves. And then on the other side, there's somebody who is by themselves and he starts chatting but the other person hmm. feels uncomfortable because feels that they are talking too much and start kind of withdrawing a bit and the class happens and they go back home and they feel more lonely than hmm. when they went to the class yeah so i mean like the discussion that we had was kind of the journey the journey of before you go to the class during the class and after the class yeah and before you go to whatever event a lot of the people who really feel lonely sometimes they even though they have signed up sometimes they don't show because they yeah the unknown there's no a familiar face that i'm gonna see there and kind of how uncomfortable that is the first question we were exploring is what can we do about it and then when they people arrive what can we do to create a sense of connection before the activity starts? And that can be just simply to say, 10 minutes, we're going to have a cup of tea and we have a chit chat and making it explicit in the event and the description saying we are going to have 15 minutes at the very beginning yeah. so that we cre start creating a sense of community. So putting intention into it is important and, and saying this is kind of a community friendly yeah event is not just about the activity mm. and so that people if you're busy you can just go directly into the activity and skip the 15 minutes but if you're there also for meeting people and for yeah. having a sense of connection you can go there those 15 minutes having kind of that moment yeah that's an example yeah yeah it's great because with the the doing design conference or the doing design festival as we call it the first one one of the big things that was called out was like hey you had a nice balance of networking as they as we called it like smaller groups for chat around specific topics and we did more of it for the second one and we could see a split and now as we're talking it makes more sense okay because some people were like it was too many breakouts and then other people were like it was just the right amount they wanted that and it was like what you've just said they wanted to go to these things to connect with other people and it's so important because like i remember i went to the sdn conference in Toronto, I don't know what year we're in at the moment, whenever the last one was, that was in person. And after the third day, I was like, oh man, I have spent the entire time in the concourse just chatting, just talking, like, you know, and that's what conferences are for me, meeting like-minded people. I go to the talks when I can, but most of the time it's really there to connect with people and have conversations. But, and we need to enable that. Um, whether it be in a conference or class, whatever it is, it's super important. Can I ask you a little bit more around advice around the, the technical aspects? You know, I know within This Is Doing, we encourage people to leave their cameras on and leave their mics on and create more of a sense of connection and richness in, in conversation. Have you found that people are lonely? Is there a connection between turning the camera off or turning the camera on? Or, well, what advice would you give? 
Yeah, I mean, like, I think that obviously with the camera thing, I mean, like when we talked about the events, like the other day, we didn't specify whether it was online or we assumed that it would be more face to face. But I can talk about my own experience about I have been in situations in projects where in the entire three months of the project, part of the team, I never saw their faces because they were all the time with the camera off. And I think <laughs> that it's, I can, so I only rely on, yeah, it's kind of doing work through radio almost, just the voice. I feel that it's a mix. You need to be, to have the permission of turning the camera off sometimes if you're in an intense project of three months because it's so intense to be looking at your face the entire day so I think that needs to be kind of that permission of taking the camera off sometimes well I think that what's important is that it's more difficult to build trust just through online just through camera because we trust people based on the intuition of how the person is moving how like we need so many elements to build intuitively to build our sense of trust and you need more time than in face to face to build that trust so i think that in any project or in anything that is takes longer so i would say if we are doing a project like the very beginning always with camera and then afterwards maybe it's kind of can be on and off but yeah, definitely, I think that the camera is important. And also kind of whomever is facilitating whatever workshop or session. Or, I think that we have a, a tendency to imitate or to mimic the energy of the person that is facilitating or running the event. So if the person goes into a mode of efficiency, like, okay, right, let's go for it. You know, like this is the agenda, five minutes, ahead. that's the energy that you're going to create in the group. It's, this is all about efficiency. This is about getting things done, which is, I mean, there's room for that sometimes. But obviously, if we want to build that connection and that dressing loneliness in our workshops and in our sessions, I think having that moment of, okay, the the moderator, kind of the worship facilitator, before they start, if they breathe, if they get calm, if they ask everyone when we start, can we just take one minute to pause? I have done worships where the person would say, let's close our eyes and just breathe for a moment and be present before. And I know that this sounds very hippie-like, but it really helps to just bring your own self to that situation and really now be present instead of interacting while you have the mobile phone on you know like because the distraction also affects the ability to connect yeah there's like you're holding these events through a computer which houses the majority of the notifications that you're going to receive your email your social networks everything is in there so you're fighting against all of that so it's something to be aware of in terms of calling this out in the intent of the workshop. So say you're doing a workshop for argument's sake about design research or service design or whatever it is. How do you go about, or do you go about, should I say, calling out the fact of loneliness or is it just in how it's designed, setting up those spaces to become more vulnerable? Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, like, what we have been doing at the minute has been to, aside from doing the starting to the events organizers workshops, what I started doing in Brighton is to organize something that we called Connect Through Cooking. So I have been practicing this in that setting more than in the service design setting, even though it's totally applicable as well. But I have been 
putting it in, in that context because I felt that I had more space for experimentation and we use that kind of as a, as a, as a living lab, if you want. And in that context, what we have been doing is at the very beginning to have some quick fire questions, like to get to know each other. And it can be, are you more Theo coffee? If your house would be on fire, what would be the three things that you would take with you? You know, like, I mean, vulnerability is something that people allow themselves to reveal as they build trust. You can't just like start a, a workshop where nobody knows each other. And tell me your deepest, you know, your yeah. darkest secret. Yeah. It wouldn't it's, work. So it's something that you need to yeah. build little by little. And Absolutely. at the very beginning, it's a simple thing. Yeah. Like, are you more tea or coffee type of person? You wouldn't imagine how much somebody can reveal about themselves just with that simple question. Because they start talking about their coffee routines and I can't sleep if I drink yeah. coffee. And so you're playing a bit of a story about yourself. And I think that the storytelling helps. Absolutely. It was really interesting because Christoph Zurn, who's a good friend of the podcast, we, we've had him on there talking about music thinking. And Christoph uses a technique in his workshop facilitation of what kind of music do you like? Okay, right. And give an example of a song. And I was like, oh, well, that's kind of cool. Like you could pick something out random, like a Def Leppard song or a Kylie Minogue song, whatever you want. And I was like, what are you doing with that? And he was like, well, it's interesting, he says, because if it's a really kind of high energy kind of drum and bass, whatever it is, kind of sound, you know that person is kind of interested in kind of rhythmic kind of approaches to things. And if it's a really short song, like a two minute kind of pop song, they know they want the information really succinctly and they want that in a specific way. He's able to drill into the details a little bit more as opposed to thinking of it as a superficial piece of evidence that people are willing to give. I thought that was remarkable. I was like, that's a really nice way of approaching things that can reflect and help work towards building that, that trust that we're talking about here. Iria, like, you know, we're coming towards the end of the episode, right? If people want to reach out to you, how do they go about doing that? What's the best way for you to start a conversation with people? LinkedIn, yeah. LinkedIn, yeah. How we connected, how we connected LinkedIn. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, thumbs up it's to LinkedIn. Because I don't have a web page, or this is the only thing that I've ever done closer to something similar to, <laughs> to talking about myself. <laughs> No, well, I tell you what, you're a fantastic guest and I know our listeners will find this, this topic really, really interesting. So I want to thank you for giving me the time and giving me your energy and, and sort of uh, talking about this stuff. Some of it can be quite difficult to talk about. It requires some of us to be vulnerable. So I'll put a link to your LinkedIn in the show notes so people to reach out and talk about things. And I'll also put a link to the Common Collective and, you know, keep up the great work. This is fantastic stuff. Perfect. Thank you so much. So there you have it. That's all for this episode of Bringing Design Closer. If you like this episode, feel free to visit thisishcd.com where you can access our back catalogue of over 100 episodes with episodes related to service design, product management, design research and much, much more. Now, if you're interested in design and innovation training, feel free to check out our business, thisisdoing.com where you can join online classrooms and learn from the world's best design and innovation leaders. Join the This Is HCD newsletter where you'll receive updates from the network. And also, if you're interested, apply to join the Slack community on thisishcd.com. Stay safe and until next time, take care.